Um, I'm going to give you a thought out of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. I'm going to go to what is often thought of as the quintessential love chapter. And I just want to give you uh, a thought out of the first three verses. Um, I like this chapter, so I'm going to end up reading the whole chapter. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I just like the way it reads, and uh, I think it's a help. So I'll, I'll end up doing that. But by way of introduction, I don't think I'll get a whole lot of disagreement on this thought that what this old world needs is truth. They have been deceived by the father of lies. There's so much, so much deception and lying in this world. We need some truth. This world needs spirit-led people who live for God because something's got to counteract the devil's work of stealing and killing and destroying. That's what he goes around and doing. This world needs people who are willing to give of themselves and of their stuff because there is so much selfishness in this world. But that's what this world needs. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with me on that. I think I'd be surprised if you did. But the church, and I mean this in the broadest sense, but let's take it as personal as it needs to be taken. The church is unfortunately known so much for its infighting, so much for abuse, people turning a blind eye to spiritual and even physical abuse within the church, pettiness. I mean, good gracious. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist from way back, and we're just known for splitting up. That's just how we do things. Divisiveness. There's so many different sects, and I'm not even just talking about Baptists now. I mean, you just talk about Christians. They're all, all of us in little, little groups. And, of course, hypocrisy. It's not a new situation. I wish it were something new because it was brand new. We could say stop doing what we're doing, but we've been doing this for so long. Even Paul has to address this in a whole letter to the church of Corinth, a church that has been known for clicking up behind their favorite preachers, a church that has been wowed by excellence and eloquence, but ignoring godly simplicity. Church that has let sin run rampant. You go to chapter five and you see this, this church just lets it go and just they look exactly like the world. It looks no different than the world. And they're worried more about who's got the better gift. You go to the middle of this, this book in chapter about 9, 10, so and, and on. They all worried about which who's got the better gift and less concerned with who's going to actually help anybody. And they're even to the point, and there's a place where, I think it's in chapter 11, that Paul has to address the fact that these people are such to this point that they're even turning away poor folk from the communion table. At this point in the book, in chapter 13, Paul is dealing with this church's focus on spiritual gifts specifically. And in the middle, middle of all that, he gives them, in, in actually chapter 12 and verse 13, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, I got something better for you something that you're missing, something that this world needs, something that God has given to you, something you can go ahead and give out to some other people. This is the better way, the more excellent way. This is what you need. And I'm just going to read chapter 13 and show you what that excellent way is, and then we'll come back and get our thought from the first three verses. Here's what the scripture says. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not, itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know even as I am also known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. I want to ask the Lord to help me as I try to share this thought with you and help you as you hear it and apply it. Let's pray. Lord. You loved us. You loved us when even though, as the song just said, you knew us, which is amazing that you loved us in spite of knowing us, knowing everything there is to know about us, you still love us. Thank you for your love. But God, I pray that you will use my message this morning, your word this morning, to remind that these people that you've not given us your love to hoard it, to sit on it, Stick it in a closet somewhere. But you've given us your love to show it and share it. And I pray that we'll do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I talked about what the world really needs and what does it need from church. And I believe if I'm reading Paul correctly here, the world needs a walking, talking, breathing, three-dimensional, everyday view of what Jesus is and who he is. They need to see him through us and in us and in our lives. And I believe that's what Paul, he uses in the King James that I'm reading from. He uses this word charity. You might interpret that in our common vernacular today, love. But I like the word charity in the King James because it connotes this idea that you know what charity is. You're giving something. You're giving something away. You're, you're not just, it's not just a warm feeling in your heart. There's, it's way more than just gift. And it's way more than just, just love. It's, it's giving and it's sacrificing. And, and I believe that's what charity is. It's this self-sacrificial, life-changing love that Jesus gave when he came and he died for us. It's way more than just words we say. It's way more than just doing spiritual things. It's way more than even your personal sacrifices. It's way more than that. In fact, that's the point of the first three verses is that I can say all I want to say. I can do all I want to do. 
I can be as sacrificial as I want to be, but that is useless on its own. It may sound good, but he's even saying you're better off not doing anything if you don't do it with charity, with love. You're better off just stopping. So my goal for the next few minutes, and I'm just going to take a little bit of your time. My goal is to show you that you will accomplish nothing unless you have and are driven by the love of Christ. My invitation to you, which I will normally and always give at the end of a service, I will, as best as I can, I'm going to try to give you an invitation, but I'm going to tell you right now what that invitation is, is that I want you to ask Jesus to fill you with his love. So that you can be a real and eternal of real and and eternal value to those people around you. That's what I want to invite you to do. If you're not saved, you say, well, Matthew, I don't even know Jesus. Well, let me just tell you, you can come to him today and he will save you and he will fill you with his love. I can point you to the Bible where it says in Romans 5 verse 5 that he will shed his love abroad in your heart. And you may say, well, Matthew, I'm already saved. Well, you need him to enable you to live out his love. So that's my invitation. I'm going to repeat that at the end just in case y'all that weren't paying attention. I'll say that again. But I want you to be prepared because I'm trying to get you somewhere. I want you to come to Jesus for that love. Verse number one. Let me just give you the headline on this. Your religious words all by themselves. Can I just tell you? They're annoying. They're annoying. Nobody wants to hear it. You're annoying people. Can I just tell you that? That's what Paul says. He says there, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He's saying here that the source of the kinds of words, the quality of words that you have is not the point. He's using this word, the tongues of men and of angels. And the, the suggestion here is you could have the best speech in the world. You could say it as perfectly as it's ever been said. You could have pious words, words that are clearly Holy words, clearly heavenly words, words of angels. You could have those kind of words. You could have precise words. This is something I, I always wish I had. It was like the right word at the right time and the right moment. And some of y'all know how to say that, just sort of have a turn of phrase. It just really gets people's attention. I wish I had that. But he says, even if you did, you had that precision in your speech. And even if it's persuasive, everybody that hears it appreciates it. And responds to it. He says, even if that's what you had going on, he says, but if you don't have charity, you're become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Without the love of Christ behind driving what you're saying, your words are just a bunch of noise. It's like the percussion section of an orchestra turned all the way up and the rest of the music turned all the way down. I remember when my sons would, they were in high school and they would play for the, for the band or the orchestra there. And there was always that one guy in the back. My sons weren't those, they, they played other instruments, but there was that one guy in the back. And he had about three or four different things that looked strange, things hanging from here, big drums over here, big clashes over here. And he would be running over here and boom, and he would run over here and boom. And he would hit the different things and they would kind of be interesting because they fit into the music. But I wouldn't want to just hear that. Boom, bang, boom, boom, bang, boom. That's not, that's not interesting. In fact, it's kind of annoying. It's kind of odd sounding. What it makes it interesting is when the music is in the forefront and those percussion instruments 
fill in where they're supposed to go. It's bright and proper. It's good and helpful thing, but whenever those words are good and helpful and they can be right and they're very helpful, but if they don't have the love of Christ, they're missing the point. They're putting the wrong thing up front. We have to have the love of Christ in order for our words to be useful. Which is why he says in verses 4 through 7, I won't reread it, but he says that love is marked by real care, real endurance, real love for truth, faith in other people. He gives all these markers of what love is, and he says it's not about winning arguments. I think sometimes we think our speech is about trying to beat somebody down and trying to get them to see it our way. No, this is not the love of Christ. That's not what love, he defines it. He says that's not what it is. You missed it. That's not what it is. Without Christ's love, our words will simply run folks down and gossip. Now, we'll call it a prayer request. We'll call it, you know, I just, you know, I sure do hate it for him and her. But what we're doing, we don't have any love in our hearts. We're just sharing in order to have a good conversation about something. We, will, we may say the right things without any care for the people underneath it. I'll just give you an example. Uh, abor- abortion is a good example of this. I will say right here and right now, I do not believe that abortion is right. It should not be happening. We want to save the lives of, our, of these unborn children. I'm supportive of that. But never, ever, ever, it, it, this is what the, without the love of Christ, those words will miss the fact that there's a real woman that's having a very difficult decision that she has to make may not feel like she has any other choice in her life. Do you care about her or do you really concern more that the Republicans get the right vote so they can get somebody on the Supreme Court? Which one is it? Honest to goodness, I hope it's the first thing and it ain't the second thing. If all you care about is the political outcome, then again, I might agree with you. We might be on the same page politically, but we don't have the love of Christ. You see that? That's the distinction. We can be prideful as if we have all the answers, but all we're going to end up doing is cause division without the love of Christ. But with the love of Christ, here's the difference. With the love of Christ, we will have compassion for the lost and hurting. We will. We will actually love those people. Yes, sometimes they need to be told straight, what you're doing is wrong and it's a sin. I understand that. That's the most loving thing we can do sometimes. But if we're doing it because we don't like it, we're missing it. But if we're doing it because we love them, And it's motivated by the love of Christ. That's the difference. We'll end up nurturing the weak, not trying to control them. We'll speak the truth, but always in love. And we will be committed to the way of Jesus above all. That's what speech that is driven by the love of Christ looks like. Go to verse 2 now. and He says the headline there, not only is your spiritual speech annoying, your spiritual gifts are useless. They're nothing. They're pointless. He speaks of three spiritual gifts here, prophecy, mysteries and knowledge, which he connects, and then the third one being faith. These are all spiritual gifts that in the prior chapter he spends some time on, and he knows, and he he makes it clear that these are Get valuable. Can I just put you back to chapter 12, just maybe a page over in your Bible, chapter 12 and verse 11, and he's talking about all these spiritual gifts, and he says of them, all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit 
dividing to every man severally as he wills. He is essentially saying in chapter 12, verse 11, these gifts of the Spirit come from God. He gives them to people who he wants to have them. In other words, these are right and good things. There's nothing wrong with them. More than that, there's something very good about the spiritual gifts. It is a good thing. The prophecy, the ability to share forth God's truth. I think we can get a little hung up on whether he's telling about the future or not. I think the primary interpretation, although we can, we can have an intramural discussion about this if you'd like to, but I think the primary interpretation is taking what God has declared and declaring it out as, God, as it's God's word. I think that's the, the thought there. You go back to chapter 12 and verse 10, you'll see that. Chapter 12 and verse 8, he talks about mysteries and knowledge, being able to understand uh, the, the unknowable, the mysteries, and the knowable, the knowledge, the things that can be understood and the things that are very hard to understand. That's the thought there. This is, this is a proper thing that God does give some people some understanding that's maybe a little hard to put your finger on, but he gives that kind of understanding. And then faith, faith that you could remove mountains. Faith in chapter 12, verse 9, the idea is that we lean on God to do amazing things. Now, I don't do it while I'm preaching. We can talk later, but I dare you to tell me how those are bad ideas. Those are wonderful ideas. Those are wonderful gifts. I want those kinds of gifts. I hope you do. But without the love of Christ, those gifts are pointless. He says, and if I do those things and have not charity, we're in verse two, I am nothing. These gifts, unfortunately, the church at Corinth particularly was saying, because I got this gift or that gift, and they were debating about which one was the best gift, because I've got this gift, I'm somehow important, I'm somehow special, I'm somehow going to be used of God in a special and different way. And he, they were missing the point. If you go back to chapter 12 and verse 7, you'll see that the only reason these gifts were given were not to make you smart or to make you look good, or to make you somehow the big cheese. They were given, chapter 12, verse 7, to help the congregation, to help people. That's the whole point of the gifts. So if you teach and preach and even put your faith in God without his love inside of you motivating it out, you might as well shut up. It's what he says. Just stop. Just stop. We have to have the love of Christ in order for us to be useful. His love makes your gift no longer about you. Your gift cannot be about you. It makes you useful because your gifts now point to the one they really need. It's not you. It's not what you have. It's the Jesus who gave you the gift. You see, his, his, care, his, his love will, will change how you teach. It'll no longer be about how you can show off how smart you are, but it will show how much in awe you are of the one who gave you that gift. His love will change why, why you even learn. You come to Sunday school, you come to the preaching, or you have Bible studies and all those things that you do. Why do you do that? I think too many Christians got, have got this sort of soak and bloat mentality. I got to get more information in my head. Paul says in a few chapters prior to this, in chapter 8 and verse 1, that knowledge puffeth up. And that's what we're doing. We're over there like my dog sometimes, he's, his dog rolls right here with food and the 
the water bowl beside it, and he gets a little messy, and he gets some of those water, those food pellets in the water, and those things, they swell up just like that. That's what some Christians are like. We know everything. We got it all down pat, but we're missing the fact that we don't actually, we're not motivated by his love so that we can learn to know the power of his resurrection. And when we know the power of his resurrection, we're not just going to want to sit and learn. Yes, we're going to learn. I'm not saying you, you want to do that, but you're going to want to learn to go do something with it. Use it for him. His love changes the focus of your faith. Unlike, you remember Balaam. Y'all, if you don't remember Balaam, you do remember his donkey. I know that. He's riding that donkey and the donkey starts talking to him. You know that whole story. But Balaam, uh, Peter talks about this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 15. He says that Balaam was, he was really like the, uh, the wages of, of unrighteousness, I think is the way he put it. But what Balaam liked was he liked to be known as a man of faith. And he was. He was known as a man who got in touch with God because he could impress people with that. Because people say, oh, there's Balaam. You need to talk to Balaam because he'll talk to God. I hope that's not your attitude, but instead that if the love of Christ is motivating you, yes, you'll be a person of faith and you will lean on him not to be impressive, but to be a witness of how wonderful he is. And that's a big difference in how, we, in how our gifts are used. His love changes how we serve him. We will serve other people to serve him. Verse 3 Headline on this would be that your personal sacrifice all by itself is just vanity. It's just vanity. I think we think of selfless sacrifice as an ultimate good. And I, I think we're right on that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to correct that thinking. I think that's right. Selfless sacrifice. Whether it is of giving something that's personally valuable to you, which is what he talks about here, bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Take things that are valuable to you to do a good thing. If people are in need, you take what you've got, you sacrificially provide it to them so that they can be helped. That is, again, unassailably good. It is a good thing. Even, he says there, though I give my body to be burned. And the idea that I happen to believe that he's talking about there is not necessarily, because I don't know how much good it does to set yourself literally on fire, but I believe it's this idea of being burned out or pouring yourself out, giving all that you've got. And you, some of you have done this in jobs or for family, where you give everything you've got. You've got nothing left to give, and you are completely burned out. Because you've given it all over to whatever that thing is. I think this idea is a good to give yourself up so completely that there's nothing left. That, that's, a, that's a proper and right impulse. But let's be honest with ourselves, can we? For just a minute, I'm just going to be honest with you about myself. Maybe I'm just confessing my sins. Maybe this will resonate with you. Maybe it won't, but we'll see. I think we most of the time we try to do those things because we're trying to accomplish something through that. I give of myself because I'd like somebody to pat me on the back and say thank you. I'm sacrificial because I want to leave a good legacy behind. I want to do good things because I want to be able to look back on my life and say, Matthew, you're a pretty good old feller. You do all right. Again, we may not say it with that kind of pride. I'm, putting the tra- I'm being very transparent with the pride, but I think that is a lot of the times while we do it. Can I even say, I mean, again, don't, don't hear me wrong. I appreciate the sacrifice of some of those that have served our milita- in our military and have given that ultimate sacrifice of their life. But why are they doing that? 
Again, maybe not about pride. Maybe it's for their country, and I agree, agree with that. But again, they're trying to accomplish something. Do you see that? Even in the best, and that's like the best of the best. They're trying to accomplish something. And, and it's the right thing. But what are we accomplishing if we do what we do without the love of Christ? He says there, if you do those things and have not charity, in verse 3, it profiteth me nothing. You get nothing out of it. You accomplish whatever you thought you were doing, forget it. You got nothing. Without the love of Christ, it is all in vain. It's absolutely of no value. I speak from my own experience that sometimes I have done things to the point of sacrifice. And I believe, and I say this with as much pride as you want to hear it, that I will give myself over to people and to institutions and concepts and things I believe in. At the detriment of my health, my finances, my family. And there's inevitably going to be pain that comes from that. I, I can, again, I don't have the time and you don't have the interest in me sharing all the stories. But I can tell you, about every time I've ever done it, there's been pain that comes. Inevitably. Loss that comes, weakness, hurt, and that investment, when I have made it so many times because I'm trying to accomplish something for myself, what I get back at best is, man, that was a waste. That's my experience. I don't know about y'all's. And my reaction has been, Again, in some of the situations I'm thinking about, it's just, it's resentfulness and bitterness. Why didn't those people react to me the right way? Nobody appreciated what I did. Again, I don't know where y'all are. Maybe you think the same way. Maybe you say, Matthew, what in the world are you doing being our preacher now? But I'm just telling you that's where I have been and what I have dealt with. And there may be some of you that even work hard in this life so that you can gain something in the next. But Jesus says in Mark 8, he says you can gain the whole world but lose your soul. In fact, there will be many, he says in Matthew 7, many who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and that and the next thing for you? And the Lord's going to look at him and say, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why am, I, why am I giving you that? Because this is, this is an investment that we're making and we're trying to accomplish something with it and I'm not trying to chastise you for trying to accomplish something. I am trying to chastise you for trying to accomplish something without the love of Christ. Because if you are doing it for the applause, if you're even doing it to gain entrance into heaven, I want to tell you, echoing the writer here, Paul's writing, he's saying it's going to profit you nothing. You will not accomplish what you think you're going to accomplish. If you are to be able to accomplish, if it is going to profit you anything, it must be done with the love of Christ. That sacrifice, any sacrifice you ever make, if it's true sacrifice, it will cause you pain. It will cause you disappointment. It is going to cost you something. But if his love makes, is, that, is motivating that sacrifice, his love will make that sacrifice worth it all. 
no matter what. His love is going to make your sacrifice not about you, but about him. His love is going to provide you hope when there is no hope because you knew that while you were even a sinner, he died for you and you knew that there was no hope for you, but he still loved you in spite of you. If he can do that, my goodness, my little situation, he can handle that no problem. He's going to give us lo- uh, love, or his love rather will give us joy in suffering And his love is going to make what seems like a waste of time something absolutely precious and valuable. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. I'm closing, just in case y'all are worried about me keeping on. I'm I'm closing, I'm wrapping up. Jesus says in John chapter 13 and verse 35 that the marker of his people, people will know that you're one of his, not by any other means, but by how much you love each other. That's what he said was the marker. Our preaching can be as eloquent as it needs to be. We can all wear Christian t-shirts everywhere we go. We can stand in our pulpits and exegete the Greek perfectly. And we can have faith that the world will talk about. Not just Ash County, but the entire world talks about your faith. You could have that. You could be the most sacrificial people that ever existed on planet Earth. But unless you have his love marking who you are, driving and fueling your work and your words, you're going to help nobody. But if your love, his love rather is in you, driving you, his words are the words of life. His gifts point to fellowship with him. His sacrifice works eternal glory in everybody that it touches. So that invitation I mentioned earlier, we're going to have that now. Would you ask Jesus to fill you with his love? Believers, I know, that, I know that many of you profess faith in Jesus Christ and by your life, I'll tell you as much as it matters, I think you're Christians. A lot of you are. But I want you to know that you need a savior to enable you to live the life that shows his love. Would you call out to him? Some of you that I don't know as well, I don't know your position with Christ, but if you're not a savior, or he is not your savior, if he's, he's, you're not saved, he will give you this same love. If you'll just come to him in faith and believe that he will save you. If you want somebody to explain that to you, you come up here. I'm going to stand down front for just a minute. You come up here and say, I need some help, and I'll show you. And if, if I can't explain it to you good enough, I guarantee you I've got about three or four more people in here. I can show you somebody that will get it, get it down to where you can understand it. I promise you. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard. But you need Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need. I want to ask you to stand if you're able to. We're going to have Vanessa come and play. I'm just going to have a short prayer, and I'm going to stand down front. If you want to come and you want me to talk to you, you come on. If you want to stay where you are and you want to pray, you do that. But this is just going to be a moment to respond to what's been preached. Lord, I pray that you will give us your love. 
I'm going to ask on behalf of the North Beaver Baptist Church, you have given me the grace of being able to pastor here. I pray that you will give North Beaver Baptist Church that kind of love that shows out in very tangible ways to a world that's in need. I pray that you'll give that to us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all come as the Lord moves you.